Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 50th episode of the Diverse Minds podcast. And on today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the stereotyping many South Asian women in the UK tend to encounter, the single story about arranged marriages that's often portrayed, and why it's just so boring. As it's the first South Asian Heritage Month from the 18th of July to 17th of August, being celebrated officially, I wanted to talk about this topic in relation to cultural awareness, stereotyping, and why pigeonholing us as South Asian women is not a good idea. There's been plenty of talk about unconscious bias, particularly with this wave of the Black Lives Matter. It's popular and it's a hot topic. However, I would say a lot of biases or unconscious biases, aka stereotypes, are not unconscious. They're actually very conscious. And they've been formed by a repeated exposure to the same concept over and over again, so that the general populace start to believe it. And this can be exposure to other people's views, as we might read or see in the media. In social psychology, this is known as a schema. And a schema is a cognitive framework or concept that helps us as people to organise and interpret the vast amounts of information that we receive on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis. Now, schemas can be useful because they help us take shortcuts and create connections in interpreting this vast amount of information that is available and that we receive in our day-to-day lives. However, when we make these connections, these mental frameworks can also cause us to jump to conclusions and exclude important information and instead focus on the things that we know to confirm our pre-existing thoughts, beliefs and ideas. Now, schemas do and can contribute to stereotypes and make it very difficult to retain or shift or add new information that does not conform or confirm our established thoughts and ideas about the world. And in the Western world, it's thought that the theorist Jean Piaget introduced the term schema and its use was popularised through his work. And according to this theory of cognitive development, children go through a series of stages of intellectual growth. And Piaget's theory says that a schema is both a category of knowledge as well as the process of acquiring that knowledge. And he believed that people are constantly adapting to the environment as they take in new information and learn things, which is absolutely true. And we develop as we're children into our teen years and beyond. And as experiences happen and new information is presented, new schemas are developed and old schemas can be changed or modified. But herein lies the challenge. What if there is no new information being presented and it's the same story and it's a single story? So for South Asian women living in the UK, the main schemas I hear about or have experienced people asking me questions about are number one, arranged marriages. Number two, Asian women being desperately submissive and not being able to voice how they feel. Number three, not speaking or writing English very well. And number four, not having any freedoms and having to ask your parents to do everything past the age of 18. So I did want to spend a bit of time talking about arranged marriages. And I want to be really clear about what this actually means. And I've used the definitions from an organisation called Karma Nirvana that help women experiencing forced marriages. And you can have a look for their link in the show notes. So firstly, an arranged marriage. Both participants give their full consent and enter the marriage willingly. But it's arranged because the families have spoken or have been able to 
think about how their children would be a really suitable match. Now, there are many people of South Asian descent that absolutely want this and trust their families to make the right decision for them. I also wanted to mention that arranged marriage is not just a South Asian phenomenon. And if anyone's seen the film Georgina the Duchess, which is a historical film based on facts that could be found, that was an arranged marriage. And arranged marriages throughout time and through cultures have been done to either bring together financial wealth or bring together political disputes through marriage. So please don't think this is simply a South Asian phenomenon. It might happen more in South Asian cultures, but it certainly isn't exclusive just to South Asian cultures. Now, forced marriage. This is where one or both participants enter a marriage without giving their consent, and they may go through the wedding under duress from their families and then feel stuck and feel that they have no way out. And it's important to note that forcing someone into a marriage in the UK is a criminal offence. So if you're really worried and you're concerned about forced marriages, then please keep the number of hotlines from Karma Nirvana and the government's forced marriage unit on you. Get training and know the best ways to support others. But I want to be very clear that there are tons of South Asian women that do not have arranged marriages. So please don't assume and please don't jump to conclusions about that. And like I said, if you want to know more, please check out the information I've provided in the show notes. Okay, so I don't want to be guilty of dwelling on this subject either. What I do want to talk about next is plurality. There is so much plurality in being a South Asian woman. So no one really says, oh, the white English or the white British female experience. So why on earth are all South Asian women lumped together? Why are we meant to look up to certain people as role models? Why are we meant to aspire to be certain things? We are all going to have very different experiences based, firstly, I wanted to mention, on our diaspora journey. So not everyone comes from India or Pakistan or Bangladesh or Sri Lanka directly. We have often had a circuitous diaspora journey. Many Asian people lived in East Africa, South Africa, West Africa, North Africa. Many South Asian people have been born in America, in New Zealand, in Australia, in Canada, and now reside here, maybe due to you know, movement, businesses, who they've married, etc. So because of that diaspora journey, different communities will have experienced different kind of Asian communities and or social isolation. So a lot of the things and stereotypes that people have about Asian communities are not necessarily true because many of us have grown up in relative isolation. In next week's episode, I talk to the author Masuda Snaith and we talk more about this. The other thing is religion. So the religions of South Asia are very diverse and different. There are commonalities in terms of respecting elders, being kind, giving to charity, but doctrinally there are differences. So we've got Hinduism, Sikhism, Islam, Christianity, Catholicism, a small cohort of Jewish communities in India, and other religions that I may not even be aware of. So of course, with these different religions, you're going to get different subcultures, you're going to get a difference of culture and the way in which people grew up. So of course, this means that people haven't had a commonality of experiences. And it will also depend on religious beliefs, um, also how people can move away or towards those religious beliefs within their communities. Don't forget there are an inordinate amount of languages that are spoken and you'll find that a lot of South Asian people in the UK will speak at least one or two different South Asian languages. And that again has an impact on people's journeys, their diaspora, their communities, etc. And of course, we are daughters of shopkeepers, doctors, lawyers, accountants, factory workers, politicians, agitators, artists, painters, singers, etc. 
So please don't assume that we all want to be doctors or that we all have doctors in our family. Lots of us do, and that's brilliant, but that's not the case, or lawyers, or all these assumptions. And recently I was listening to someone giving a talk, a female South Asian senior academic in a Russell Group institution, and she said she thought it was an absolute travesty that she earned so much more than her father, who worked in British Rail, and towards the end of his career, um, as it's now Network Rail, was put on a zero hours contract and was very lucky to be able to salvage 15 hours a week with workers' rights like sick pay. And she said, I don't think this is some positive immigrant story that I'm where I am as an academic and my father is where he is. I actually think it's it's so upsetting that people don't value the work that someone like my father did. So please remember that. And maybe that story resonates with many of you, regardless of your racial or cultural background. But I think it's important to mention that Asian people, just like everyone else, South Asian people will do different jobs. And we've all been raised in different kinds of households with different incomes. So some people have a perception that Asian people are very rich. And yes, there are many Southeast Asian people that are wealthy. We think about um, the Lal family and Tata Steel, etc. But then there are lots of families that aren't, so please don't assume that either. So if you're serious about being inclusive and educating yourself, it's vital to understand the damage stereotyping does and how it stops South Asian women and people moving ahead. And if you truly want there to be cohesion and understanding, it's also crucial that you absorb how damaging cultural and racial stereotyping is and know how minimising this makes a huge difference. And I do think that perceptions and stereotypes really hold people back because often if we have been bullied or if we're in a vulnerable situation, unfortunately, as hard as we might try, we might start to believe some of them. It also stops people from sharing things they may need to or want to. Let's say someone is going through a forced marriage and they, they feel they're going to be judged um, and they're trying to balance communicating with their family and they don't necessarily want anything to happen to their family and you go in and they can't share that but you could have helped them by giving them a number or supporting them it stops that from happening and it can put people into a real crisis area and it puts a lot of stress on South Asian women who have to constantly and consistently push back on these stereotypes and it's truly exhausting and of course it has a huge impact on mental health and well-being. I also want to be really clear that I appreciate this happens to all communities, pretty much all communities of colour too, but I wanted to speak from my own experience. And one example I wanted to give about this is um, from another awful colleague at the University of Oxford, shock horror, another horrible colleague at the University of Oxford, who would have thought it? And I remember once we were in an away day, and actually all my other colleagues in this team were lovely, and uh, we had to do an exercise using the Joe Harry window where you, you have um, four quadrants, you have, a, you have a square and it's split into four squares within a big square. Um, and it's all about trying to understand your blind spots. So it's kind of known to you and known to others, known to others, not known to you, and then known to you and not known to others and not known to anyone. And we had to write words in each square for all our colleagues. And I received her piece of paper back. And in the square that said, not known to the individual, but known to others, she'd written aggressive. And I can remember that that upset me for about four years. Why did it upset me? Because I didn't really understand where it had come from. And I didn't really have much to do with her. And I'm so pleased I didn't go and ask her about it because I dread to think what she would have told me. But years later after I'd left Oxford and I contemplated about why she'd written aggressive in that box, I realised what it must have been was that I was very 
forthright, I said my opinion and I'm a very direct person. And I think my skin colour meant that that wasn't the right role, that she, that wasn't the right way that she'd be speaking about things. So she'd written aggressive. And quite frankly, if that isn't the answer, I don't really care because I don't really care what she thinks anymore. But at the time, it really, really got to me. Interestingly, this same person who called me aggressive went up to another colleague who was, I don't know, she must have been about 60, a brilliant woman. She was an absolutely wonderful colleague and went up to her one day and said, so when are you retiring? And pushed her to retire very secretly. And I only found this out many years later. So it's also interesting how when you're forthright and you put things on the table, how some people see that as aggressive. And yet in white majority cultures, things are done quite differently in the workplace, but yet that's not seen as aggressive. So don't forget the impact that that has on someone. And it's really, really damaging. So maybe you're listening to this episode and you're an Asian woman who would like some coaching or you'd like to have a chat to me. Um, So why not book a 30 minute call to find out more? Keep listening and I'll tell you more at the end of the show. Okay, so what can you do to stop stereotyping or to stop maybe the exposure to the single story of marriage, 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 marriage? (laughs) So one thing, the first thing I would say is why don't you question yourself as to where these schemas or your thoughts or your perceptions have come from? Maybe I'm assuming lots about you as the listener. Maybe you grew up in an Asian area, South Asian area, but you're not Asian yourself. So maybe you saw a lot of your friends going through things. And so that's where your schemas have come from. Slightly different from, I think, the media. But think about that. The second thing is what makes you think there is just one female South Asian experience if you do? And why are we all lumped together? Thirdly, what could you do to up your awareness? How could you find out more about the different cultures and subcultures within South Asian communities? I would also say the fourth thing is don't ask people you don't know to educate you. So if you've got people that are your friends and your colleagues that you know are open to talking about it, that's one thing. But to not say to someone, okay, I don't know. And actually, I don't want to look stupid. So can you just educate me? Because also we're all on our own journeys as well. I would never purport to know everything in the whole wide world about every aspect of South Asian female experience and culture. I don't. So I'm also on a learning journey. And please remember the impact of what you say and how it can have on people. So my story about the aggressive thing. Oh, I think she did actually mean it, but you may not mean it. But how have you made someone feel? And how are you going to find out how you made someone feel? And how can you apologise for it and not do it again? I think that's the key thing. So I would say, in essence, educate yourself, watch, read, speak to people to learn more, think before you're you speak and gain understanding of different perspectives. And that also applies to us within the South Asian communities, because we can often be in our own subculture and not know enough about other South Asian cultures. Okay, so I said you might be listening to this and be thinking about culturally sensitive coaching. So maybe you've listened to this and you're concerned about your career, you're concerned about younger dependents or people in your family and your friendship groups and you want the best for them. You're really short on time, so you're not sure if coaching is for you. You're really aware of your own mental health and well-being, but perhaps at the moment your coping strategies have not always been working. You really value your time with other people and you want to help others, but you don't doesn't leave really much time for you. But you also might be feeling out on a limb and isolated due to all the pressures, trying to manage work and life. Well, I'd really love to support you and be a coach. And if you want to know more about coaching, please do check out my podcast episode about coaching and I'll link to that in the show notes. So if you're not sure that coaching's for you, what you can do is you can book a free 30 minute call for me on my Calendly and that's calendly.com forward slash Layla O 30 mins. I'd really love to help you on your journey and support you 
for your career trajectory to manage upwards and of course your well-being. So I really hope you find this a useful episode. It's not something that I think is always easy to surmount or change your stereotypes, but we've all got to try and start somewhere. So I really look forward to seeing you in the next episode where I'm going to be talking to the author Masuda Snaith about her books, her writing journey, and she also provides advice for anyone else who's a budding author. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.